Okay, so we're in Amos chapter 3. We're spending the semester in the book of Amos. And for those of you who are new, first of all, welcome. Um, we're glad you're here. Get books, get t-shirts, get everything, get potatoes. Ah, it's so much stuff. Um, but So enjoy those things. But also, um, just a quick refresher, the book of Amos. Um, I kind of want to like ask you guys stuff. Uh, Samantha, what's going on with the country of Israel in the book of Amos? How's it going for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not very good. They have been sinning. That's exactly right. Not very good. They have been sinning. It, it's not going well for Israel. Things are not going well for Israel. Um, they, Israel's neighbor is um, Assyria, and Assyria kind of has a stranglehold on them, but Assyria has had trouble on its own borders, okay? And while Assyria is distracted on its own borders, Israel is allowed to flourish, because they don't have their mean boss over them, right? But in that flourishing, Madison, what has happened to Israel as they've gotten more financially? How have they been doing spiritually? Awful, yeah, yeah. So remember kind of our first takeaway was that sometimes in life, it's prosperity's not always a good thing, okay? Not trying to be doom and gloom, but sometimes the better things get for us, the 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 further we can wander, we get complacent, our hearts are hardened. Sometimes the difficult circumstance the Lord allows to come into your life is actually an act of mercy in some ways because it draws us closer to him, okay? We have to keep in mind the state of our own souls. I think if we had our way, we'd want a nice house, with a great spouse and our preferred number of kids or no kids and a great job, and if God's not involved in that, I'm okay with that. Like, if we were honest with ourselves, that's kind of where we would be. And the Lord loves us too much to leave us in that prosperity without him, in that deadness without him. So sometimes he allows things to come in to draw us closer to him, right? And that's what's in part is happening in Israel, okay? Now, in Amos 1 and 2, God judges six nations around Israel for the things that they've done. And then the seventh nation, do you remember who the seventh nation is, Alexa? Who's the eighth one? So, so, yeah, you're right, because the seventh is Judah. You did better than me, golly. So, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So seven nations, and then the eighth one is Israel. Israel is this, like, seven is the number, like, what does seven mean in the Bible? A couple different things. Completion, perfection, yeah, yeah. So the perfect judgment has been doled out. And now Israel, like it deserves its own judgment, right? And so we get into this in two. And now in Amos 3, we're gonna hear more about what Israel has done that is so wrong, that is so bad. Why do they deserve what's been happening? So we get in here. Um, Let's go, Christian, can you read Amos 3, verses one and two until I stop you? Great job, Christian. Okay, so here is, all right, so everybody circle, if you're a note taker, miracle worker, circle that word here. Here is in, come on, Devin, it's just a joke. Come on, man. I'm just kidding. Um, here is in 3-1, 4-1, and 5-1. It links these chapters together, okay? The Lord is laying out his case before Israel of what they have done wrong. Here, Butel, what do you think the Lord, and not a trick question, don't, don't, don't make it overcomplicate it. What does the Lord mean when he wants Israel to hear this? What does he mean? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not just to allow the sound to enter their ears, but to do what with it? Yeah, understand it. Is that what you're going to say, Butel? Yeah, to, to act on it, right? To, to um, not just to listen, but to respond appropriately, okay? That's what he wants them to do. There's, remember, Israel doesn't fall to Assyria until way later, okay? Why would, Butel, do you remember this from last week? Why does God take so long between announcing punishment and actually doling it out? What could happen in that time? Yeah, to give them a chance for repentance. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this so that you'll turn, so that you'll turn from these things. And we'll get into more of that later. Okay, Christian, just kidding for fun. Can you go verses one and two? Good. All right, Sam, in verse one, God describes Israel in a specific way. How does he describe Israel? Who are they to him in verse one? Good, good. In verse, yeah, in verse one, what does he, no, you're fine. In verse one, though, what did he do for them? Exactly. So he wants Israel to, rem- to define themselves based on his mercy, okay? That's how they need to see themselves. Oh, kingdom of Israel who's done all these things? No, oh, kingdom of Israel who I have brought out of Egypt, okay? Who I have brought out, the Hebrew here, so Old Testament's in Hebrew. Do you guys know what New Testament's written in? Good, you guys are awesome. So New Testament's in Greek. The Hebrew here in verse one is, lit. or excuse me, I think it's actually in verse two, is only you have I known, only you have I known. Now, Nor Jane, God knows every nation in the world. So when he looks at Israel and says, only you have I known, how is that possible? What does he mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Only you do I have a deeper relationship with. You of all people should know better than to have done this, right? That's what he's, that's what he's doing here. Christian, can you read two one more time? Good. So it's interesting here. In verse 1, how does he describe Israel? Not as a nation, but as a what in verse 1? As a family. And then in verse 2, out of all the what on the earth? All the families. See this contradiction here between the family of Israel and the families of all the earth. He specifically saved Israel. Okay? And, and this is massive. This is so important. It's God who rescues Israel. It's God who rescues us. But since he has done that, we now, so like true love doesn't just love you where you are. It loves you enough to not leave you there. Does that make sense? Like, yes, we love you where you are. That's part of the church's job. That's part of grace's, grace's job. But true grace doesn't just leave you there. It loves you too much to leave you there. Like, you know, if you were out like in the snow, like dying, and I was like, man, Madison, I just, I want you to know, out in this blizzard, I love you right where you are. Okay, but what would you rather me do instead? Yeah, 
if you really, if you really care about me, like, like take me home and like help me stay warm and give me food or whatever. Like, we do love people where they are in the church. A hundred percent, we do. But true love doesn't just leave people where they are. It loves them too much to leave them where they are. Does that make sense? And that's what God is saying here. I, my love doesn't want you to just stay where you are. I want, to, I want to pull more into this, right? So the Lord's love is part of, like, I don't want to spend all my time obeying the Lord. I just want him to love me. Well, he does love you. But part of that obedience, part of that love is what fuels us to want to grow closer to him. Does that make sense? Kind of like hopscotched around 10 different points there. Okay. Um, Christianity is super important. All right, here we go. Let's go three through five. Three through five. Paul, would you mind reading verses three through five, please? Nice. Um, okay, so pretty clear, right? Obviously, just kidding. This doesn't make any sense. All right, so these are three st- three statements, basically. I mean, there's really six, but these three verses show cause and effect. Okay, so um, Paul, can you just read verse three? The two walk together unless they okay, so Scott, according to that verse, why flip it around? Why do two people walk together? Because Good, all right? Paul, can you read verse four? Good. So, Madison, flip it around. According to verse four, why does a lion roar in the thicket or in the forest? Because, well, because he gets the prey, right? Because he has the prey. Samantha, it's this, it's this cause and effect that's happening. So, like, look at verse 5. Paul, do 5. Does a bird fall in the snare on the earth, and there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground, when it has taken nothing? So, does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? There's bait, the bird comes. Why does the bird swoop down? Because the bait is there. Why does the trap spring up from the ground? Because it has caught something. Why does the lion roar together? Because it has caught its prey. Over and over, God is asking these obvious questions to Israel. It's obvious that this happens when this happens. It's obvious when this happens, when this happens. It's inevitable. It's inevitable that a lion's gonna roar when it catches its prey. It's going to happen. And then we get to verse six. Butel, can you read it? This is the final example, but it's more of an example. It's more than an example. It's proof of what's going to happen. So a trumpet sounds in the city and the people tremble. Why would people tremble when a trumpet blows? It's not a big deal. Why would people tremble when a trumpet? Emily, take a swing. Why would people, what would a, what would a trumpet blown in the city in the ancient world probably symbolize if it causes people to tremble? Yeah, wow, so well said. Definitely initiating conflict. That's so good. That's exactly what it is. Like, yeah, so true. It's, someone has pulled the fire alarm. Like, it's so true. This is an, it's proof of what's going to happen. An opposing army is coming, but it is not 
the opposing army that is at the back of all this. It's not just randomly this opposing army has, has come. Scott, can you read six one more time? Fun fact, when a disaster comes to the city, has the Lord not done it? That's the seventh question in all of this. So again, this number of perfection, this number of the Lord is present here. All these, now, and again, because I know it's Old Testament, and it's like, okay, there's lions, and like, what, what is happening? The Lord is bringing about all these obvious examples. It's obvious. Everyone knows that two people walk together because they have agreed to meet. It's obvious. It's obvious that the lions roar in the thicket when they've caught their prey, and it's obvious that I'm going to punish this place because of what it has done. God is not arbitrary. He is not randomly just deciding things at will. He's punishing Israel because of their sin, and Israel knows, and he's not just saying, I'm doing it because of your sin. Do two people walk together unless they've agreed to meet? That's like the most obvious question in the history of the world ever. Does that make sense? Like so obvious. And God is saying it's that obvious that the reason I'm going to punish you is because of what you have done. This is what you have done. What you have done is so blatantly obvious here. Look at, um, Ari, would you mind reading verse 7? This is good. This is important. This is not out of nowhere, okay? This punishment that's coming in the book of Amos is not out of nowhere, it is not as if Israel was just like volunteering at the nursing home and all of a sudden now they're getting punished. They have been sinning for, but, but they haven't just been sinning for a long time. Emily, according to verse seven, what has also been going on for a long time? Alongside Israel's sin, God has also provided something though in verse seven. What's he, what's he given them throughout? Yeah, yeah. Through what people, Alexa, in verse seven? Through the prophets. This is super important, guys. This is super important. Have you, have you ever heard, and it's okay if you haven't, like, um, let's go big and then we'll go simple. So like if you're like a super church kid, there's a phrase called sola scriptura. You guys, some of you guys, okay, a few, a few. See me after. It's, I love Sam. Sam goes, what? <laughs> That's awesome. So sola scriptura means what? Anyone know what that means? It's not going to be a quiz. Go ahead, Nora Jane. Yeah. So good. Scripture alone. Only scripture. Why, Butel, why would we say scripture alone? What do we mean? What do we, what's going on there? That's good. Ahead of everything else. Now, what I think is more helpful here, and, and, and sola scriptura is great, scripture alone. The word of God alone. Scripture alone, but not Scripture by itself. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Scripture alone. Scripture's authority, like Scott said, and what like Nora Jane was alluding to, is what is our ultimate authority. As, so we're Pleasant Valley North blank church. What is it? Baptist. Baptist is the Protestant denomination. Does that make sense? Or the Protestant grouping or whatever. We believe that the word of God is the ultimate authority. But do you know how many cults have started from the phrase me and my Bible, right? Like, you know, um, you don't have to watch it, but like on Netflix, there's that, don't worry, I'm gonna connect all this. But there's a 
Waco, the Waco massacre, the Waco shooting in the 90s, the Branch Davidians. You're like so happy when you when I said that. You're like, Hi. but no, you're fine. Yeah, that's good. No, the Branch Davidians. Okay, the Branch Davidians base their whole cult off of this total misunderstanding of the book of Revelation given by their lead prophet or whatever, right? The book of Mormon, all kinds of stuff going on in the book of Mormon. Over and over and over again, it's this idea of scripture being taken out of context, misunderstood, but we just said, sola scriptura, scripture alone. But in addition to, now, not in addition in terms of adding on top of, but alongside scripture, God throughout the whole Old Testament, from Adam to Moses and beyond, provided not just his word, but according to verse seven, Emily, what else has he provided in addition to his word? In verse seven, you're there. Alexa, help her out. His prophets, his prophets, right? I know, don't worry, yeah, don't worry. I will, I will, those of you who are new in here, I, man, especially, hold on, I just got a real quick rabbit trail and then we'll come right back. You did this. I, so I cannot stand it in, yes, in school for sure, but in Sunday school classes when teachers try to trick their people, that's the dumbest, like, what are you doing? We're in church. Like, like I don't like that. I don't, I'm, I'm never going to set you up to, to, to slip over something. Does that make sense? Like, people who have been here, like, you know, like, I will, that's why, even with Butel, I was like, not a trick question. I will never. If it seems easy, that's because it's easy. Because we're here to learn. I had, I, heard a, I had a Hebrew teacher in seminary who, anytime you apologized in his class, he threw a marker at you. And his, and it, but his point was, and he said, he said, you're learning Hebrew. You're going to mess up. You don't have to apologize to me for that. Like he was trying to retrain the brain of like, guys, we're, we're here to learn. This is, this is the book of Amos. How many, how long? I know you guys are in Amos all the time, right? We're never in, like, we're learning basically a new book of the Bible together. I'm never going to try to trick you. Does that make sense? So if it's easy, just go for it. It's going to be, you're going to do awesome. So yeah, this is super important. He doesn't just give us his word. It's not just, if I can say it this way, it's not just about his word. It's about understanding his word. It's about talking through his word and learning what it means. God has always provided people to explain his word to other people. And those people who explain the word, where do you think, if God always provides people to explain his word, where do you think the people who explain the word learned it from? Well, from him, yeah, but give me more. If he's always provided, come on, who else did they learn it from? That's right, other people, other people. You've got to, we're not the first generation to ever have the Bible, which is why church history is so important, which is why pastors and Sunday school teachers who are older than you are important, which is, which is reason number 1195,000, why being involved in a local church is so important, and not just on Thursday nights. And I want you here, obviously, but there's more. Like, you, there's got to be an involvement because it's not just about God's word. It's about understanding God's word, um, growing deeper in God's word. He, will, he, he says right here in verse, remember at the end of Amos 2, at the end of Amos 2, God says, I, I cleared out the land of Canaan. I brought you out of Egypt. The two biggest things in the history of Israel. But he adds a third. He adds a third. Look at Look at Amos chapter 2, and then we'll get into it again. Amos 2, verse, all right, hold on. 
Look at verse 9. We have Amos 2, verse 9. Uh, Devin, can you read Amos 2, verse 9? So there's God clearing out the land of Canaan, okay? Massively important for the establishment of Israel. Butel, read verse 10. I brought you out of Egypt. There's the Exodus, the biggest moment in the history of Israel. But he adds a third, verse 11. Um, Paul, would you mind reading Amos 2, 11? So according to God, the three most important things he has done for Israel at this point are clear out the Canaanites, get them out of slavery in Egypt, and what's this new third one, Alexa? What has he done for them? He's given them prophets. Notice, he does not say, yes, Paul. What did you do? I did. I caught that, and I thought maybe that's just his version. I I heard that, and I thought maybe that's just his version. But I just I think. Oh yeah, well, we're running out of time, Paul. But we we can stick around. But um, but I yeah, Paul is joking. For those of you who are new, Paul believes in scriptural authority. <laughs> um, but uh, but like <laughs> that's awesome. But. According, like, notice too, though, what's funny about that verse, he doesn't say, I gave you my word. He says, I gave you my prophets. Now, now, the word is what's most important. There is no, it's, it's in the word that we're reading this. But now, help me, think about what we've just been talking about. Why would he not say, I, didn't get, I gave you my word? Why would he say, I gave you my prophets instead of, I gave you my word? Why would he say that? Because why? Because what do the prophets do? What's their job? Because the word, like, the word doesn't do anything if you can't understand it, if it's not being expressed to you and explained to you. So the Lord has provided his word to his people. And as you guys get older, please, please, please do not check out of church because you think all you need is your Bible. Your Bible is fine. It's you that's the problem, right? All I need is my Bible. Well, that's true, but you're the, you and I are the problem. We need a community. We need people to teach us the Bible too, right? Does that make sense? Thoughts or questions on that before we keep going? I know that was kind of a lot to chew on. We're all okay? Still friends? Everybody good? Okay. All right, let's keep going. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. Um, let's go. Uh, yes, Ari, you did such a good job. Could you read verse 8, would you mind, of Amos chapter 3? Good. So he goes back to kind of that Q&A format of three through five. Do you see that? The line is word. Who will not fear? Um, the Lord God has spoken. This connects back to Amos 1 verse 2, where God is described as a lion roaring from Zion. This is super important. Um, not a trick question, obviously. Um, Alexa, if you came into the student building and you were the only one in here and there was a lion in here roaring at you, How's your emotional state? 
I, yeah, yeah, I think you should. I think that's a good call. We would be scared. It would be fearful. This is, this is not, this is, well, it is, but this is not Abba Father here. This is the lion, and he's not pleased, right? Sometimes, okay, sometimes, and we got to check our hearts here, because you're not going to like this, but you should. Sometimes God will use fear to overwhelm our sinful hearts. Now, not fear like scaring you just for the sake to scare you because he's a jerk. He's not doing that. Like, whatever. He's not doing that. Like, but he will show himself to you in a way that will make you take him seriously because sometimes you can't be, I don't know, reckless loved your way back in. Like, you can't. I can only play that bridge so many times before you guys, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Lord's got to, he, he, he got to get you by the shoulders a little bit. But that's what he does in love. There's a great, there's this incredible, you guys know the story of the Old Testament in um, where Abraham's nephew Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember this? And so what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah in the end? You remember this? It gets destroyed, incinerated, blown up into fire and all that stuff. But Lot, if you go back and read in, in mid-Genesis where this is, Lot and his family at first won't leave. It's not just his wife. Now, his wife looks back. She's the famous one. But before that, they won't leave. These three angels, it's like three with God. It's almost like the, anyway. Okay, so these three angels are telling him, you gotta go. This, this thing is literally burning down. You gotta go. And they won't leave. Now, follow this. And so the angels, do you remember this? The angels grab him and drag him out of there. They drag him. I know, it's very intense, Sam. They grab him and they, now listen, listen. They grab Lot and they drag him out of there. Now, Butel, respond to this. Well, that's not very loving. That's not very loving if they're gonna drag him out of there. What would you say to that? It's absolutely loving. Sometimes, sometimes that's what he's gotta do with us because he loves us, not because he hates us, because he does love us. What's the most famous thing? Not a trick question. What's the most famous thing that happens to Jonah? What's the most famous thing that happens to Jonah? Can you, like, hold on. Can you imagine for like two seconds how, like, what kind of a day have you had? Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, some, now, and I, I, saw, I heard, a, I think it was Tim Keller who says, sometimes, like eaten by a fish, sometimes when God is saving you, it feels like he's killing you. Do you hear that? Not the sound back there. Sometimes when God is saving you, it will feel like he's killing you. And I don't mean, like, I know new people are like, wow, okay, thanks, Ryan. Like, this, this is great. But, but for real, though, but for real, though, like, you guys are in college, man. It's time for us to widen our theology a little bit. When you hear a lion roaring, your first thought is not going to be, great, I'm saved. Like, it's over. And there will be things in this life that happen to you, and you think, what the heck? God is tr he's trying to kill me. But the Bible tells us, and especially this is the Old Testament. This is supposedly the Testament that we need to unhitch from, the, the Testament where there, there is no grace here. There's grace all over this book. He's, he's rescuing it. This is Abba Father, but he's got to get serious with his people to save them. Does that make sense? We all on the same page? Okay, end of sermon. All right, not really. We got two, seven more verses. All right, um, okay, notice two. Notice two. Um, Scott, can you read eight one more time? 
I'm sorry, Amos 3.8. Amos 3.8. Yes, we're back. Notice, same thing happens, two totally different responses. The Lord is speaking, and those who don't love him are afraid of it, but the Lord speaks, and those who love him prophesy. They want to tell people about it. One way to kind of gauge where you are in your walk is what does God's word mean to you right now? Is it, is it out of date? Is it oppressive? Is it boring? Or is it like Psalm 119 says, sweeter than the honeycomb? And listen, that's not always, it's not always going to be like that. And there may be parts of scripture that you love and parts of scripture that you're like, man, I wish that wasn't in there. Well, that's first of all, that's why I have like 38 books over there about specific parts of the Bible that are tough to swallow because we want to teach you guys. We want to show you why this is, not only why this is in the Bible, but why it's good that it's in the Bible. We want to help you get that taste for the scripture. Does that make sense? We want to help move you from the first group in verse eight to that second group in verse eight. Does that make sense? Um, Before we keep going, not to put you on the spot, Paul, do you have anything you want to jump in on here and Sprinkle in here. No worries if not. You're the man. I love it. Um, all right, let's go. Emily, would you mind reading verses 9 through 10? I'll help you with the names if you need it. Good. Didn't need my help at all. You got it, girl. All right. So first of all, we know Ashdod from earlier in the book of Amos. Ashdod is the capital of Gaza, okay, which is where the Philistines live. Goliath was a Philistine. This is one of the countries that's already been judged, okay? Egypt is another evil nation surrounding Israel. Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and the fortresses of Egypt. What does he, where does he want them to, according to verse 9, Christian, do you see this? According to verse 9, what does he want the people of Ashdod and Egypt to do? On the mountain of Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel. Remember, Israel and Judah. It used to be Israel. But then Israel splits into two kingdoms because of civil war. Because Solomon's sons are ridiculous. And it splits into Judah, which is Jerusalem, and Israel, which is Samaria. Okay, does that make sense? I want you, these two rival nations, I want you guys to meet me in the capital of Israel and you're gonna watch this thing fall. Um, And it says, I want you to see two things, two things, according to verse nine at the very end. Samantha, do you see the two things in verse nine that he wants them to see? Watch what happens with, look at all the people in Israel who are being oppressed the people who are being mistreated, which is ironic because Gaza and Egypt have also been doing these things. So what's the Lord saying here? By bringing Egypt and Gaza to watch Israel, what's the Lord saying about Israel in this conversation? What's he saying about them? Take a swing, Butel. What do you think? Yeah? And what they have done is just is just as bad, is just as bad. That's why I want you to come watch this because these guys are just, you're doing the same stuff that the world is doing, the exact same stuff. And also what's interesting here is 
he's, it, the commentary I was reading says, it's like he's calling them to testify against them in court, which is way worse because these two guys are not exactly upstanding citizens, right? Gaza and Egypt, but compared to Israel, they are. That's how bad it's gotten that God has to go get Gaza and Egypt to testify against these guys. Um, okay, let's see, verse 10. Um, Norjane, can you read, I think just 10 is great. Good. Okay, this is super important. Can you read the first, I know it's kind of all one sentence, can you read kind of just that first statement in verse 10, Norjane? It's, it's not just that they don't do right. Do you see that? It's not just that they don't do what's right. Madison, according to verse 10, what's the real problem? It's not just that they don't do right. What's that first sentence in verse 10? They don't know how. They don't know how. These people are so broken in their ways that they, this isn't ignorance. This isn't the word for ignorance. Like they just didn't know, oh, poor them. Because remember, what has Israel had for all its existence that we've been talking about? Go ahead, you're there. They've had the prophets this whole time. They've had the law this whole time. They know what's right. So why would he say that they don't know how? Why would he say that? They do know how. But come on, he's saying, you don't even know how to do what's right. What's he really saying there? What's he really saying? Christian, take a swing. You're there, you're there. I think it's worse. I think it's worse. Christians at least given Israel a little bit of credit, but God is not even doing it. You guys are so broken in your ways that you won't even listen to the right way when I tell it to you. You don't, you don't want it. It's not that even that you don't do what's right. It's that you don't want to. You are bent away from me. You're so blind that you don't even know how. Notice what they say here. Um, Yeah, man. Yeah, you're exactly right. You, yep. Yeah, it it has a it it's not just doing the wrong thing. It has a rebounding effect. It deadens the senses to it. Over and over and over and over. You guys know this. I mean, you guys you guys know this. Like it deadens it to you, but and th- and then it gets worse, I think. Um let's go Ari, could you read verse 10? What do they do? So violence and robbery, two pretty bad things. I think we can all agree. According to what Ari just read, what do they, Ari, what do they do with this violence and robbery? What kind of stuff do you normally want to store up? What, like, if, like if you want to store this up, what do you think about this thing? What do you think about it if you want to store it up? It's a necessity. Give me, give me like two more. You're right. You pr- oh man, here we go. You prize it. You want to store this up. Give me one more. You worship it. What? It's like a treasure. This is see see. It's not just that they're a good bunch of good people who are just doing some bad stuff. The whole thing has been twisted on its head. You don't just commit adultery. You prize it. You're seen. You're seen as weird if you don't commit adultery. It's not just that you steal. 
if you didn't get rich by doing it wrong, something's going on with you. You see what I'm saying? It's not just that you don't go to church. You're seen as a fool if you waste your time going to church. Do you see what I'm saying? Their value system has been completely switched over in the book of Amos. Um, You store up things you treasure. When a society treasures bad things, it's in trouble. Looking at you, 2023. When a society, and, and and to a degree, it's always been like this. Ours is just our own particular version of it. But I do think this, this particular time period that you guys are living in, there's a lot going on. Um, when you've, when, and, and it's the same with me as a kid, but too, like, but like, not just when you sleep around, but when you value how many people you've slept with. When you value not just being cool, but how much cooler you are than someone else. That's, that's putting them down. Do you see that, right? You put them in here. When you value bad language, because it really gets the point across. This, this like us, um, I honestly don't know if I wrote about Israel or America here, but I guess this nation treasures its sexual freedom and its riches. It treasures them up. You are valuing things that not only aren't valuable, God is saying, you value things that, how does God feel about everything that I just listed? How does he feel about it? He hates it. You don't just do things that I hate, you value them. You don't even know how to do what's right because in your eyes, what's right is the stuff that I cannot stand. And so there's going to be punishment for this. And then we get into verse 11. All right, let's finish this out. Um, Let's go, Devin, could you read 11 and 12? Good. Again, super crystal clear, right? All right, so first of all, read, uh, Devin, read 11 until I tell you to stop. Great job, Devin. Okay, so therefore, you got to like learn how to see your Bible. Therefore is the hinge of this chapter. All You guys have done all this stuff. Therefore, this is going to happen. Does that make sense? When you see therefore, it's connecting the two things that are before and after it, right? This is, again, God is not crazy. He's not just wheeling and dealing, wiping people out. He's doing this as a result of what's come before. So therefore, in light of what you have done, this is going to happen. Um, Which is interesting too here. We know from the historical record that Assyria is who wipes out Israel. But he does not say that in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Ari, can you read 11? Just a couple lines and I'll stop you. Perfect. It's, it's not Assyria. It's an adversary. Now again, think about what we've talked about before with delaying punishment. Why doesn't he name who's going to come and do this? Same reason he... Del- Go ahead, Butel. 
Well, that's true too. That's true too. That's true too. Why would, think about the same reason he delays this punishment. There, I'm, it's exactly, there's still time. There's still time. I'm going to bring someone to do it. I may not, maybe, and I'm not trying to get in his mind, but I haven't chosen him yet, but you better wish, you better hope that I don't. I want you to turn from this, right? He's given mercy here. Um, this idea, they'll tear down your strongholds and your fortresses. Verse 11, you see that? The word strongholds is used in the book of Amos 12 times. 12 is another word of number in the Bible that is perfection, right? It's this completeness. It's this idea that Israel has all this trust in its strongholds. And you say, oh, it's 2023. I've never even heard the word stronghold until tonight. I don't know. We don't have that. Yes, we do. I'm, I'm young. I'll be fine. Not for long, guys. I'm young. I'll be fine. I'm, I'm wealthy. I'll be fine. I'm attractive. I'll be fine. I'm popular. I'll be fine. Things are good. Things are good. I'll be fine. These things that we put our faith in, right? These, these safety nets that we think we have, these are the reasons that sometimes we get complacent. We're about to see Israel's wealth is the problem. It's, it's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to be comfortable. It's not okay to worship those things, right? Look at 12. This is kind of a weird verse. Christian, can you just read 12? Good. Okay, so here's what's going on. Uh, when, an an, when a shepherd has an animal and the animal is killed by, an, by another animal, okay, like when the sheep is killed by another animal, the shepherd, to prove that he did not accidentally kill it or lose it, will go back to that animal and try to find what's left and bring it to the owner to say, look, it, like as proof to say, it wasn't me. It was, it was destroyed by another animal. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. This is all that's going to be left of Israel when things are over. There will be a remnant, but it's going to be ugly. This is going to get bad. This corner of a couch, does everybody have corner of a couch? Is that what everybody has in here at the end of 12? Edge of a couch? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I think what's going on here is this idea of all the, like, what is a couch this is a weird question. What does a couch represent? <laughs> What's the symbolic meaning of, of a couch? Does it mean war? No. What does a couch mean? Rest, comfort, which is exact. Is that what you're saying, Sam? I'm sorry. Yeah, which is exactly what Israel has been after. And God is saying, this, this, is, this is going away. This is going away. All right, last little chunk here. Um, let's go, Emily, could you read 13 through 15? Good. Thank you, Emily. What does he start with in 13? The first word. Again, which means, which means what? What's the big pull from that word? Pay attention to the, it's, there's still time, guys. There's still time. And he says, testify again. He doesn't call him Israel right away. What does he call Israel in 13? House of Jacob. Guys, we go way back here. We go way back. You've always been mine. 
and this is what you've done. You alone have I known, and this is what you've done. This isn't some angry overlord whose people aren't obeying him. This is, this is an intimate friend who's been betrayed and broken over the, this. Is, this is the Lord's heart here. Um, let's see here. And, and All right, hold on, we gotta keep moving. So, the house of Jacob, you guys have been my people for so long. You're disobeying the laws that I've given your fathers from the very beginning. And then we get into this weird thing here. Emily, can you just read 14? Here's why this is really important. So Bethel used to be awesome. Like in early Genesis, Bethel was great. Bethel is not great anymore at this point in Israel's history. It's this place of, so altars. Now think about what Israel's gotten in trouble for. So what are these altars probably, why, why is this a bad sign? What does it mean? What do you do at an altar? That's right, that's right. This is false worship. Now, in Israelite context, you could kill an animal and spread it on the horns of the altar to, they thought, pay for your sins. And you could also grab, if, if, and, you, and we know this from Exodus and from 1 Kings, if you committed a crime and you were, not all crimes, but if you committed a certain crime and you were on the run from the police, you could get to the temple and grab the altar and you were declared like immune as long as you were in there because they're not going to do anything to you while you're in a place of worship. Does that make sense? But what's God going to specifically do to these altars in Bethel in 14? He's going he's to get rid of them. So the horns of the altar, one, are this place of safety if you've committed a crime. But if he gets rid of the altar, Scott, what does that mean? There's no, there is no way out of it. The altar used to be this place where you could sprinkle blood and get forgiven of your sins. But now, but now that that's gone, Butel, what does that mean? There is, there is no protection from what's coming because of what you've done. There is no forgiveness coming for what you've done. He has cut off, and this is, this is so important, he has cut off access to mercy here. Does that make sense? It's not just that there's no mercy. Like, there, like I could give you mercy, but I'm not gonna do it. No, no, he has removed the only way Israel can get to mercy. If only there was a way for the people of God to have access to mercy always. Sam, what is that way? This is what Christ has done. Because of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, the ascension is always overlooked. Now that he's in heaven dwelling with God, there is no way to undo this. There is no, God will, it's almost kind of like a, a, with Noah's Ark and he puts the rainbow in the sky as a symbol that it'll never flood the earth again. Christ's ascension into the sky is a way of saying, I'm never gonna remove the opportunity for mercy. From the, the, the nice guy across the street who's just kind of mean every now and again to the worst dictator you can imagine in history. The way is open to all people which is so encouraging to us in our evangelism and the people you talk to. There is no such thing as too far gone. There is no, it does not exist in the Bible, not anymore. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, right? So anyway, this is a preview of Christ and the good news of Christ. All right, um, Emily, can you just read 15 and then we'll be done? Good. So this is the idea again, 
these people have multiple houses, which is not in of itself like, how dare you? But it's not like, but in the ancient world, most kings didn't even have this kind of wealth, okay? Which shows that it's, it's this gaudy, unnecessary, and think, about, think back, Christian, how do you think they got all this wealth probably? Yeah, not, murder, okay. Yeah, I mean, probably. Yeah, not through any sort of good, you just like went there. Like, but not any, it was just, yeah, yeah. How did they do it? Murder. Okay, okay. great. Watch out for Christian. Okay, but for real, for real. But it's like, but it's like, yeah. But it's just like, it's this, this, look, look, look. A wealthy man in a culture of Jesus is fine. Like King David had more wealth than any of us will ever have. It's okay to be rich. But a man in a culture of wealth instead of a culture of Jesus, that's a problem. And Israel had become so, look at this, so prosperous, so prosperous. And again, having multiple houses is okay, but I mean, you can't live in both of them at the same time. Why not give one of them to these poor people? You know, like that's the point. Like you guys have become so top heavy that you're about to topple over. And it's not just because being rich is bad, because it's not. It's because you guys are completely, remember we talked about this last week in Amos 2, you are completely ignoring the poor in your midst on your way to your second house. That's the issue here, the radical message of Christianity here. And that's the problem. Um, if you're a note taker, we're, we're out of time, but Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 10, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 10 is where God talks about why he chose Israel. Not because of how awesome they were. In fact, they were the smallest of all the nations, but because he loved them, period. That's the reason. So how can you get so uppity if the only reason I chose you is because I loved you? Not because you earned it. And when we see that, it affects how we see other people too. Um, we have a couple minutes. I mean, that, that's it. You guys were great. Uh, questions on any of that? Comments on any of that? I want to leave you guys hanging. You tell? Are you cooking on something? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is, it is poetic language for sure because you've got like you've got the the back and forth and the and the rhythm to it. Um, I think it's like set apart as a prophecy as well. But yeah, it's it's not just regular prose for sure. There's an elevatedness to it. I don't know what the thinking is behind that particularly, but I will learn that because I'm taking prophets in RTS right now. So in like eight weeks, I'll have an answer. Mm-mm. Yeah, makes perfect. No, that makes perfect sense. Actually, mm. like a, almost like a legal document. Like a legal document is different than just regular prose. Does that make sense? Good question, Butel. Thank you, Sam. That was awesome. Thoughts, questions, Paul? You chewing on something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Hate, hate does not even nowhere fit into the character of God. So there's not 
That's exactly right. Correct. Correct. No, I, that's a good word. No, I think you're exactly right. You know, we talk about, we talked about this before, you know, we, or B-Tail, go ahead. Well, I was just say like, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's this idea of, you know, I don't want the Old Testament warrior God. I want Abba, Father. I want Daddy God. That's who I want. And that's fine. But you miss the fact that, like I use this example, when we were in middle school, for some of us, that's when you started changing out for PE. What a fun time that was. Uh, and my little brother was getting made fun of in the locker room, and my dad found out. Now, my dad loves my brother and Braves baseball. Or he loves, sorry, he loves my family and Braves baseball, not just my brother. He loves my family and Braves baseball. And that, that's true. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> And, th- but, and that's like pretty much it. Like as long as the, his family and the Braves are doing okay, his life is like pretty peaceful. And when someone was making fun of my brother, I thought he was gonna put those kids through the wall, okay? Now, Butel, help me out again. Oh, your dad doing that to those kids, that's not very loving. How is that loving? Explain that. What's the reason my dad is so angry? Oh, don't try to theologize me, Butel. Come on. <laughs> You gonna lose, but you can go. But his deep love for my brother is the reason he is so furious. Do you see that? I don't want divine warrior God. I want Abba Father who's loving. Yeah, but the reason he is a divine warrior is because he's so loving. If if my dad didn't stick up for my brother it would be as if my dad didn't love my brother. Do you see what I'm saying? Because he's not motivated enough to protect and defend him. There cannot be one without the other. Does that make sense? There cannot be one without the other. Anyway, you were cooking on something earlier, or now, whatever you're thinking. By all means. Yeah. You're exactly right. You're exact. We are, there's a bending. Remember, it's not just that they don't do right. What did it say in verse 10 specifically? You don't know how to do what's right. Your heart is bent away. And this is, man, okay, let's go. Our, heart, our hearts are bent away from God, bent away from him. At, you, know, you know the old song, uh, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, okay? Um, oh, my goodness. Oh, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone. If you're prone to do something, what does that mean? I'm prone to wander. I'm not prone to go towards him. I'm prone to wander away from him, which makes his grace that much more miraculous. Right? Which makes his grace that much more miraculous, which makes Christianity. It's not just that you one day were like, yeah, I'm there. I'll go there. But why were you why did you decide to worship Jesus? We love because he because he first loved us because because you were wandering away from God just like Israel was. And in his mercy, just like he's doing in the book of Amos, he reaches down and not only makes you 
stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things and get those Awana medals and blah, blah, whatever. Those are fine. But he turns your actual heart towards him. Does that make sense? Something that we don't have hands to do. It's not just a behavior thing. He turns the posture of your heart in the other direction towards him. That's the miracle of the new birth, right? That's what he's doing. Okay, anything else? That doesn't mean you have to stop. I told you. All good. You tell? What if I say you look like you were chewing on something? That's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's Hebrews. He chastises those he loves, right? There's hope in there. There's hope in the book of Amos, and it's awesome. Okay, you guys did a great job. Um, Paul, could you pray us out, and we'll be done?